Very good morning to you all. It is a joy and a privilege to be able to be with you in worship and to lead you in the preaching of God's Word. Uh, Thank you for the invitation. Uh, I want to pass on the greetings of your brothers and sisters from the Reformed Church of Avondale on the North Island of New Zealand, uh, the largest city, Auckland. And it's good to be back in California. Uh, I studied at Mid-America Reformed Seminary in Chicago about 15 years ago now. And during that time, had the privilege of serving a three-month internship at uh, Chino, in uh, a first, first Chino United Reformed Church. So uh, th- this is a familiar part of the United States to us. And we had a very blessed three months there. And then, of course, walking in this morning, one of the first people I saw was Brother Bob, uh, who we knew uh, back there in in Chino. So lovely uh, to make that connection. Uh, Speaking also with Derek earlier, I heard that he has had uh, spent a short time in New Zealand and uh, done a bungee jump. Uh, I've never even done a a bungee jump. (laughs) Far too high off the ground for, for me to um, venture to something like that. So, anyway, we are about to um, hear from the word of the Lord. So, please join with me in a moment of prayer. Almighty and gracious God, we know from your word that your word never returns to you empty, but always accomplishes the purposes for which. You send it. We know that you have breathed out your word and that it is profitable for the man of God and the woman of God and the children of God that they may be equipped for every good work. We know from your word, Lord Jesus, your desire that we would be sanctified in the truth and that your word is the truth. So bless your word to us. To each one of us this morning, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm 26. If you're using one of the provided Bibles, that's page 542. Psalm 26. You'll see in the the short title of David... And then we read, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, and whose right hands are full of bribes. 
But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. And may he bless his word to us this morning. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who here knows who Eeyore is? Uh, I'm glad of that. That's very helpful. Uh, Eeyore, of course, is a a stuffed donkey who belonged to Christopher Robin uh, from the Winnie the Pooh stories. And, And Eeyore always expects the worst to happen. Uh, He's known most of all for having a very gloomy personality. Perhaps lesser known is that he's a very reliable character. Uh, He's someone you can lean on in times of trouble. He can even be quite insightful and wise at times. In fact, in the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh, there are hints that Eeyore is arguably the smartest, wisest, and most down-to-earth resident of the Hundred Acre Woods. So why on earth would I begin this sermon with a detailed analysis of the personality of Eeyore? Well, one type of psalm that we find in the psalms is psalms of lament. And boys and girls, lament means sadness, Uh, or sorrow, usually in the face of of trouble or affliction. And it might surprise you to know that nearly one-third of the psalms are psalms of lament. They are, in fact, the single largest category of psalms. But, of course, when you think about that, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because life is not a barrel of laughs. It's not a bed of roses. It's full of sorrows of many different kinds. And that makes the lament psalms a very precious gift of God to his people in times of trouble. And in this way, they are a bit like Eeyore. They appear quite gloomy uh, at first impression, but they are actually full of down-to-earth, insightful wisdom. So today we're going to consider a very typical psalm of lament. Uh, This one is an individual lament. You'll see it's it's full of lots of I and me. Uh, The other category is community laments, which are are we and us, the Lord's people. Uh, This is an individual lament, and as it should always be with Scripture, our chief desire is to see how the psalm points us to the Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation in him. But to get there, we have to start by taking the psalm at face value. What is the problem? Uh, What is the complaint? What is the solution that, that David sets before us? Well, you'll see at the end of the psalm in verse 12 that, the, that David describes himself as standing on level ground. And, and that suggests a balance, a, a place of security, stability. Things are as they should be. And so we consider Psalm 26 under this theme, life on level ground is the best life. 
And to see why and how this is so, we will very simply uh, begin by considering the setting of the psalm, and then we'll spend a bit of time thinking about the structure of the psalm, and we will conclude by seeing the Savior in this psalm. So let's begin with a few thoughts about the setting of the psalm. What are the circumstances, uh, the situation of the psalmist? Well, you may know that some of the psalm titles give us a little bit of information about the particular situation of of the psalmist. This one doesn't. It simply tells us that it is a psalm of David. So we have to look inside the psalm and, and perhaps to other similar psalms to get a sense for the type of situation that David is describing. Now, there are, there are two main settings uh, for this psalm that are possibilities. One possibility is that David was seeking vindication from the Lord because he had been falsely accused or he was not being believed in relation to something that he had said or claimed. To be vindicated, boys and girls, means to be proved right by someone else. You are actually telling the truth. Uh, We see this idea of vindication throughout the psalm. David proclaims his integrity, his innocence. He refers to men of falsehood and those whose, whose right hands are full of bribes. And in verse 6, we see that David is going around the altar, which was, of course, in the house of the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon is dedicating the temple that he has just built. And Solomon prays these words, Lord, if a man is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house... Then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. So we learn from this that in Old Testament times, if a person was falsely accused and required to take a vow to demonstrate their innocence, They had to go to the house of the Lord. They had to do this before the altar of the Lord. And they would call on the Lord to vindicate them. And Psalm 26 fits those elements perfectly as we read it. But there is another possible setting for this psalm. It's it's what is called a temple entrance liturgy. Uh, I'm sure you have been to venues before where you had to have a certain dress code or perhaps even you had to have tickets to get in and if you turn up to a place like that and you don't have the tickets or you're not wearing the right clothes uh, you will not be allowed in. Well it was a little bit like that with the temple. Those who would seek entrance into the inner courts of the temple had to first of all demonstrate their Jewish lineage but they also had to go through a kind of a a spiritual fitness uh, examination, if you like. Uh, We we learn, uh, we we have historical evidence that suggests that the priests would would conduct this interview, and of course people didn't have 
uh, their own sort of personal Bibles back then. This would be done from memory. And so it's, it's quite possible that the priests would use psalms like Psalms 15 or 24. Those psalms ask, who may come into the house of the Lord? And we, we read uh, in those psalms that the one who may enter is the one who walks blamelessly and speaks truth in his heart, who, who swears to his own hurt and, and does not change, etc. Uh, he who does these things shall never be moved. And so having heard the priest uh, lay the psalm before them, the congregant would respond quite possibly, depending on their situation, with a psalm like Psalm 26. And in this way, the person uh, seeking entrance into the house of the Lord could go in knowing that their feet were standing on level ground. Now, this psalm quite possibly combines both things, David's personal situation and also what what even David may have had to go through in order to be able to enter into uh, the courtyard of the Lord. To see more, though, about the uh, essential truth of this psalm, we need to dive in a little deeper. So let's switch our attention now to the structure of the psalm. How does this psalm work? How is it put together and, and laid out? What is being said through this psalm? Now, Psalm 26 is very typical of uh, the basic structure of lament psalms. Uh, Most of them begin with an invocation, uh, a calling upon the name of the Lord. It's very short uh, in verse uh, 1. O Lord, Uh, the psalmist directs his attention to the Lord, and you'll notice that the word Lord is in capital letters, which means the covenant name of God. David is directing his attention to Yahweh, the God who has drawn near to his people in special relationship, the great I am God, uh, the God who ultimately will come down to be God with us, Emmanuel, Christ Jesus. So so David addresses his words to this this God of steadfast covenant love and fellowship and congregation. This is is really instructional for us. We we also will encounter troubles, hardships, afflictions of many different kinds, and we should turn to the same God through Christ. Hebrews 10, 19 talks about the confidence that we have to enter into the very presence of God through faith in Christ. And so just by beginning our prayers with our Father in heaven, we are directing our thoughts exactly where they ought to go, to our faithful covenant God. So that's the invocation. Next in a psalm of lament, we get the problem or the question or the complaint of the lament. And in, in Psalm 26, that is verses 4 through 10, the false accusations of these wicked men. And we also see the resolution 
uh, in that section as well. And so then finally, lament psalms typically end with an expression of confidence in the Lord. Not all of them do, but most of them do. Uh, Verses 11 through 12 are the confidence uh, of this psalm. Uh, So we have... We have the basic structure, invocation, complaint and resolution, and then an expression of confidence. Now, if you've ever done any study on the Psalms, then you might remember that a good rule of thumb for studying the Psalms is to go to the middle. Very often, the psalmist will give us the key to understanding the psalm or interpreting the psalm in the middle of the psalm. That's a very common feature of Hebrew poetry, which is what the psalms are. That is exactly what we find in Psalm 26. Uh, Verses 1 to 3 and 11 to 12 are a cry to the Lord and an expression of confidence in the Lord. And then in in verses 4 and 5 and 9 and 10, uh, they are about the wicked But verses 6 through 8, they are about worship. That's where the psalmist is. In the house of the Lord, around the temple. That's where his problem will be solved. His question will be answered. His conflict will be addressed. So now let's, let's, with that in mind, let's just move through the parts of the psalm and, and look at these things in a little more detail. In verse 1, we see David crying out to the Lord, Vindicate me, for I have walked in my integrity. And that phrase is repeated also down in verse 11. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. And as we have noted, it seems that David... Uh, had been falsely accused of something. Uh, He could not prove it himself with witnesses, uh, and so he was entrusting himself to the Lord. He'd come to the house of the Lord to have this matter resolved. You know, O Lord, that I have told the truth. Prove me right. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you have been falsely accused of something. I'm pretty sure there will be boys and girls here today who have been blamed for something that one of their brothers and sisters did, and they can't prove it. That cuts deeply. That really hurts. And of course it hurts just as much for us as elders, uh, as, as uh, adults, when we experience false accusation or, or we are not believed So we can empathize with with David's uh, struggle here. But notice as we read through the psalm that this doesn't seem to be about just one isolated event, even if that is the heart of the complaint. But but David describes the the general tenor or, or attitude of his life. He says, I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord. Test my heart and my mind. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence. Now that's quite a claim, isn't it? 
That's quite a comprehensive claim to integrity and even innocence. And this is not false bravado. This is not some empty hyperbole. For David is calling upon the Lord. Prove me, O Lord. Try my heart. I'm laying it all out in your presence. That's why earlier in the service we read those passages from Matthew that talk about the secret places of the heart that God can see into. Uh, we, We can fool everyone else, but not God. And that's why we sung from Psalm 139, Search me, O God. Try my heart. See if there be any evil within me. And one thing we know for sure is that the psalmist... David was not perfect. And that's because the Lord Jesus is the only one who was without sin. So what are we to make of these claims of David that is about his body and soul devotion, his integrity and his his innocence, his trusting in the Lord without wavering, his washing his hands in innocence, his loving the Lord's house and and not sitting with evildoers and and not consorting with hypocrites, etc. When was the last time that you prayed a prayer like that to the Lord? Lord, you know my innocence. You know I have nothing to do with evildoers and I abhor wickedness. I'm I'm guessing it was probably either a long time ago or, or maybe never. The reason I ask you this, brothers and sisters, is because it can be the case that we take God's grace for granted. I can always go to God and ask for forgiveness. There's enough grace in God to cover all my sins, so I don't really have to bother too much about godliness and holiness and staying away from wickedness and all of that. Must I really be concerned with every word I speak and and every thought of my mind? Does it really matter how I behave apart from Sundays? The answer of Psalm 26 is yes, matters a lot. Think of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. How is this man described? Well, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But then Psalm 1 also describes the wicked. The wicked are not so. They don't care about God's commandments in any way. And what do we see of them? The way of the wicked will perish. So Psalm 1 tells us that the life of striving to obey the commandments of God, of loving His Word, is the best life, the happiest life. The blessed life. It's life lived 
with your feet on level ground. And Psalm 26 asks us this question. Do you believe Psalm 1? If there are people who know you well and know Psalm 1 well, would they describe you as a Psalm 1 person? One lesson then of Psalm 26 is that obedience to the commandments of God really matters. But having said that, Psalm 26 is about much more than personal holiness. As I've already stated, David was not claiming perfection. None of us can. But we can go further than this and and see that David was not, not offering his own efforts at holiness as in any way meriting his salvation or the blessing of the Lord. In fact, by faith, David understood that his entire salvation rested in Christ. That's where David's hope was. We see that even in the psalm. Again, in verse 1. To whom is David addressing these words? To the, the covenant Lord the great I am. That's the essence of faith. And where is David looking in verse 3? He's looking at the steadfast love and the faithfulness of his covenant Lord. All through the Bible, God binds himself to his people on the basis of, of his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And do you know where we see the steadfast love and faithfulness of God most plainly? We see it, of course, at the cross of Calvary, don't we? Because we don't deserve the cross. That is God, by grace, sending his beloved Son to endure such awful agony to secure the salvation of sinners like you and me. That's where David was looking. That's where David's faith and hope were focused. And and remember also where David is as he is speaking these words. He is at worship. He is before the altar of the Lord. He would have seen the rivers of blood that were constantly flowing over the sides of the altar all day long symbolizing the the river of the blood of Christ that washes away the sins of, of of sinners who cry out in faith. And David would have had the smell of the incense that was rising in the courtyard, rising to heaven as a as a fragrant aroma, symbolizing the the saving work of Christ and his prayers on behalf of his people. Notice also verse 11, where David says, Redeem me and be gracious to me. David knew that his his feeble efforts at personal holiness fell far short of, of the level that would make it acceptable in God's eyes. 
David's only hope was redemption and grace through this promised Messiah. And it is the same for you and me, brothers and sisters. We must be concerned about personal holiness. But that is not about earning salvation. That is about expressing our thankfulness for the salvation that Christ has secured on the cross of Calvary. Well, we've already begun to see uh, the Savior, this beautiful Savior in Psalm 26, but before we move on to see more of that in our third and last point, Psalm 26 is another reminder about the importance of public worship. Like you all, uh, we have experienced COVID and lockdowns back in New Zealand, and uh, we've learnt to live stream. And we're all, I'm sure, very thankful for live stream. It was a, a gift of God for a very unusual time, but this is so much better. This is the real deal. And so we should make the most of every opportunity we have to, to gather together for this otherworldly fantastic preparation for heaven. Join together face to faith, face to face with the saints of God to hear him speak his word to us and and to respond with our prayers, our praise and our rejoicing. So let us never lose the love of, of being in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day with the Lord's people. That brings us thirdly and lastly and briefly to the Savior in Psalm 26. Now, one very helpful way to think about all the Psalms is as the songs and prayers of Jesus. Just just remind yourself that this Psalm that you are reading was a Psalm that Jesus read when he lived on earth. A psalm that Jesus sung or or chanted, memorized when he lived on earth. A psalm that instructed him in the will of his Father in heaven when he lived on earth. A psalm that gave him words to be able to pray and to sing to his Father in heaven when he lived on earth. But even more than that, these psalms describe the Lord Jesus. For in terms of walking in integrity, think of all the times that the Lord Jesus demonstrated or or claimed to be Messiah and the Son of God, healing people and teaching with authority and speaking the truth. And every time the Pharisees said, nah, blasphemer, liar, and wanted nothing to do with him. False accusations one after the other. In terms of trusting in the Lord without wavering, think of the Lord Jesus turning his face towards Jerusalem knowing what was coming. Think of him leaving Jerusalem 
going out to the garden of Gethsemane, knowing that Judas would come there to betray him and everything that would come after. He knew the horrors of the cross that awaited him. He'd learned about these things in the Psalms, as well as the prophets and the law, and yet he went, always entrusting himself to his Father in heaven. And in terms of loving to be in the house of the Lord, think of the time that the parents of Jesus thought that they had lost him. And a few days later, they rushed back to Jerusalem and searched until they finally found young Jesus in the, in the courts of the temple, teaching the scribes and the Pharisees. And when his parents asked him why he had done this to them, he replied, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And think of the love or zeal for the Lord's house that, that is seen when Jesus takes up that whip of cords and clears the temple of those wicked money changers. And of course, he spent every minute of every day in his public ministry proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling the people about God's wondrous deeds. Think of how often he rebuked the Pharisees for their falsehood and for their hypocrisy, for their wickedness, only eventually to fall prey to their thirst for blood as they had him crucified. And in terms of a desire to be vindicated by the Lord, think of that time when Jesus was baptized and and the voice came down from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then there was a repeat of that, wasn't there, on the Mount of Transfiguration when, when that beautiful light shone and, and the Father said of Jesus, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then in Romans 1 verse 4, it says of Jesus, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate vindication of every claim about himself that he made. He is the Son of God. He is the only Savior by whom men can be saved. And boys and girls, where is Jesus now? He's up in heaven, isn't he? Seated on the right hand of the Father, on the throne of glory. As verse 12 says, his feet stand on level ground. He truly is in the great assembly of those who have gone before us, blessing the Lord and receiving the praise of the saints. So who is most qualified to sing Psalm 26? The Lord Jesus. But of course, we also earlier in the service read from Romans 8, verse 1, that very beautiful and dearly loved verse. There is for now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And of course, that leads us into the most important question of the day, isn't it? 
Are you in Christ Jesus? Maybe you're sitting there wondering, well, what does that even mean? It means to know and understand yourself to be a sinner, one who is guilty of breaking the commandments of the Lord and of failing to keep them as perfectly as you should. But with that knowledge, you are hearing today or you have heard before of this this Savior, Jesus Christ, who has been declared again today to be the Son of God, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. And through his word, he is speaking to you right now. And he's saying, come, come to me. Receive me today as your Savior and King. Take hold of me today in faith. Don't put me off another day. Don't come up with this excuse that you're too busy or that you've got too many questions. Receive me in faith today. And we can deal with your questions further down the road. That's the call of the gospel. That's the invitation of the gospel. Take hold of Christ, which will mean you are then united in Christ, in Christ, which will mean, therefore, for you, there is now no condemnation. And if you are one of those who have put your trust and confidence in the Lord Jesus, then Romans 8 verse 1 is your vindication today. There is no condemnation for you. You might look at yourself and see sin and guilt and failure, but God says, because I have joined you with my son, I see you as innocent, righteous, blameless. A man, a woman, a child of integrity. Though the world thinks that your views about creation and sexuality and and obedience to God's commands in hell are are false and and foolish and, and hateful, you know the truth. You know the rock solid, reliable truth of God. Therefore, you stand on level ground. And you are living your best life now. And then, of course, when you stand before the Lord on the judgment day, you will not be condemned to hell with the wicked. Instead, the Lord will say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest that has been prepared for you before the creation of the world. Enter into the joy of of your master, and then your feet will be truly and completely standing on the most level ground in the presence of the Lord Jesus to dwell with him and his people forever to bless his glorious name. Brothers and sisters, Psalm 26 has its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus, it speaks of his integrity. His innocence, His vindication. And it does this by pointing us to the cross and the empty tomb and the throne in heaven. But Psalm 26 also describes for us the importance of public worship for all of life. It reminds us that we have...
the forgiveness of sins through faith in Christ. It reorients us to life in Christ, the life of obedience. And it refreshes us or re-equips us to go out again with a smile on our face to joyful service. So the only appropriate prayer to pray in response to Psalm 26 is, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for salvation in Jesus Christ. He is our innocence. He is our integrity. He is our inspiration. We thank you for your promise that there is no condemnation for those who are in the Lord Jesus. We thank you that in all of these things, you have reminded us that life in Christ is life on level ground. So be with us as we meditate on these glorious truths through this Lord's Day and enable us to live these truths as the new week begins, whether we are at home or school or work or recreation. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen.